Chapter One of Penrod and Sam. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jonathan Burchard, Perth, Western Australia, April 2009. Penrod and Sam by Booth Tarkington. Chapter One Penrod and Sam. During the daylight hours of several autumn Saturdays there have been severe outbreaks of cavalry in the Schofield neighborhood. The sabres were of wood, the steeds were imaginary, and both were employed in a game called Bonded Prisoner by its inventors, Masters Penrod Schofield and Samuel Williams. The pastime was not intricate. When two enemies met, they fenced spectacularly until the person of one or the other was touched by the opposing weapon. Then, when the ensuing claims of foul play had been disallowed and the subsequent argument settled, the combatant touched was considered to be a prisoner until such time as he might be touched by the hilt of a sword belonging to one of his own party, which effected his release and restored to him the full enjoyment of hostile activity. Pending such rescue, however, he was obliged to accompany the forces of his captor whithersoever their strategical necessities led them, which included many strange places. For the game was exciting, and at its highest pitch, would sweep out of an alley into a stable, out of that stable and into a yard, out of that yard and into a house, and through that house with the sound, and effect upon furniture, of trampling herds. In fact, this very similarity must have been in the mind of the distressed colored woman in Mrs. Williams's kitchen when she declared that she might just as well try to cook rat's bag in the middle of the stockyards. All up and down the neighborhood the campaigns were waged, accompanied by the martial clashing of wood upon wood and by many clamorous arguments. You're a prisoner, Roddy Bits. I am not. You are too. I touched you. Where, I'd like to know. On the sleeve. You did not. I never felt it. I guess I'd have felt it, wouldn't I? What if you didn't? I touched you and you're bonded. I leave it to Sam Williams. Yeah, of course you would. He's on your side. I leave it to Herman. No, you won't. If you can't show any sense about it, we'll do it over, and I guess you'll see whether you feel it or not. There, now I guess ah squash. Strangely enough, the undoubted champion proved to be the youngest and darkest of all the combatants, one vermin, colored, brother to Herman, and subsequently under the size to which his nine years entitled him. Vermin was unfortunately tongue-tied, but he was valiant beyond all others, and in spite of every handicap, he became at once the chief support of his own party and the despair of the opposition. On the third Saturday, this opposition had been worn down by the successive captures of Maurice Levy and Georgie Bassett until it consisted of only Sam Williams and Penrod. Hence, it behooved these two to be wary, lest they be wiped out altogether and Sam was dismayed indeed upon cautiously scouting around a corner of his own stable to find himself face to face with the valorous and skilful Vermin, who was acting as an outpost or picket of the enemy. Vermin immediately fell upon Sam, horse and foot, and Sam would have fled but dared not, for fear he might be touched from the rear. Therefore he defended himself as best he could, and there followed a lusty whacking in the course of which Vermin's hat, a relic and too large, fell from his head touching Sam's weapon in falling. There, panted Sam, desisting immediately. That counts. You're bonded, Vermin. Ain't me where? Vermin protested. Interpreting this as ain't neither, Sam invented a law to suit the occasion. Yes, you are. That's the rule, Vermin. I touched your hat with my sword, and your hat's just the same as you. Imop, Vermin insisted. Yes, it is, said Sam, already warmly convinced, 
by his own statement, that he was in the right. Listen here, if I hit you on the shoe, it would be the same as hitting you, wouldn't it? I guess it'd count if I hit you on the shoe, wouldn't it? Well, a hat's just the same as shoes. Honest, that's the rule, Vermin, and you're a prisoner. Now, in the arguing part of the game, Vermin's impediment cooperated with a native amiability to render him far less effective than in the actual combat. He chuckled and ceded the point. Ah, why, he said, and cheerfully followed his captor to a hidden place among some bushes in the front yard, where Penrod lurked. Looky what I got, Sam said importantly, pushing his captive into this retreat. Now I guess you won't say I'm not so much use any more. Squat down, vermin, so's they can't see you if they're hunting for us. That's one of the rules, honest. You got to squat when we tell you to. Vermin was agreeable. He squatted and then began to laugh uproariously. Stop that noise, Penrod commanded. You want to betray us? What you laughing at? Emmack and mimip, Vermin giggled. What's that mean? Sam asked. Penrod was more familiar with Vermin's utterance, and he interpreted. He says they'll get him back in a minute. No, they won't. I'd just like to see. Yes, they will, too, Penrod said. They'll get him back for the main and simple reason we can't stay here all day, can we? And they'd find us anyhow if we tried to. There's so many of them against just us, too. They can run in and touch him soon as they get up to us, and then he'll be after us again, and... Listen here, Sam interrupted. Why can't we put some real bonds on him? We could put bonds on his wrists and r around his legs. We could put them all over him, easy as nothing. Then we could gag him. No, we can't, said Penrod. We can't, for the main and simple reason we haven't got any rope or anything to make the bonds with, have we? I wish we had some of that stuff they give sick people. Then I bet they wouldn't get him back so soon. Sick people, Sam repeated, not comprehending. It makes him go to sleep, no matter what you do to him, Penrod explained. That's the main and simple reason they can't wake up, and you can cut off their old legs or their arms or anything you want to. Hoy! exclaimed Vermin in a serious tone. His laughter ceased instantly, and he began to utter a protest sufficiently intelligible. You needn't worry, Penrod said gloomily. We haven't got any of that stuff, so we can't do it. Well, we got to do something, Sam said. His comrade agreed, and there was a thoughtful silence, but presently Penrod's countenance brightened. I know, he exclaimed. I know just what we'll do with him. Why, I thought of it just as easy. I can almost always think of things like that. For the main and simple reason, well, I thought of it just as soon. Well, what is it? Sam demanded crossly. Penrod's reiteration of his newfound phrase, for the main and simple reason, had been growing more and more irksome to his friend all day, though Sam was not definitely aware that the phrase was the cause of his annoyance. "'What are we going to do with him? You know so much.' Penrod rose and peered over the tops of the bushes, shading his eyes with his hand, a gesture that was unnecessary but had a good appearance. He looked all round him in this matter, finally vouchsafing a report to the impatient Sam. "'No enemies in sight. Just for the main and simple reason I expect they're all in the alley and in Georgie Bassett's backyard.' "'I bet they're not,' Sam said scornfully, his irritation much increased." How do you know so much about it? Just for the main and simple reason, Penrod replied with dignified finality, and at that Sam felt a powerful impulse to do violence upon the person of his comrade-in-arms. The emotion that prompted this impulse was so primitive and straightforward that it almost resulted in action, but Sam had a vague sense that he must control it as long as he could. Bugs, he said. Penrod was sensitive, and this cold word hurt him. 
However, he was under the domination of his strategic idea, and he subordinated private grievance to the common wheel. "'Get up!' he commanded. "'You get up, too, Vermin. You got to. It's the rule. Now here, I'll show you exactly what we're going to do. Stoop over, and both of you do just exactly like I do. You watch me, because this business has got to be done right.' Sam muttered something. He was becoming more insurgent every moment, but he obeyed. Likewise, Vermin rose to his feet, ducked his head between his shoulders, and trotted out to the sidewalk at Sam's heels, both following Penrod and assuming a stooping position in, in imitation of him. Vermin was delighted with this phase of the game, and also he was profoundly amused by Penrod's pomposity. Something dim and deep within him perceived it to be cause for such merriment that he had ado to master himself, and was forced to bottle and cork his laughter with both hands. They proved insufficient. Sputterings burst forth between his fingers. "'You stop that!' Penrod said, looking back darkly upon the prisoner. Vermin endeavoured to oblige, though giggles continued to leak from him at intervals, and the three boys stole along the fence in single file, proceeding in this fashion until they reached Penrod's own front gate. Here the leader ascertained, by a reconnaissance as far as the corner, that the hostile forces were still looking for them in another direction. He returned in a stealthy but important manner to his disgruntled follower and the hilarious captive. "'Well,' said Sam impatiently, "'I guess I'm not going to stand around here all day, I guess. You got anything you want to do? Why don't you go on and do it?' Penrod's brow was already contorted to present the appearance of detached and lofty concentration, a histrionic failure, since it did not deceive the audience. He raised a hushing hand. "'Shh!' he murmured. "'I got to think!' "'Bugs!' the impolite Mr. Williams said again. Vermin bent double, squealing and sputtering. Indeed, he was ultimately forced to sit upon the ground, so exhausting was the mirth to which he now gave way. Penrod's composure was somewhat affected, and he showed annoyance. "'Oh, I guess you won't laugh quite so much about a minute from now, old Mr. Vermin,' he said severely. "'You get up from there and do like I tell you.' "'Well, why don't you tell him why he won't laugh so much, then?' Sam demanded, as Vermin rose. "'Why don't you do something and quit talking so much about it?' Penrod haughtily led the way into the yard. "'You follow me,' he said, "'and I guess you'll learn a little sense.' Then, abandoning his hauteur for an air of mystery equally irritating to Sam, he stole up the steps of the porch, and after a moment's manipulation of the knob of the big front door, contrived to operate the fastenings, and pushed the door open. "'Come on,' he whispered, beckoning, and the three boys mounted the stairs to the floor above in silence, save for a belated giggle on the part of Vermin, which was restrained upon a terrible gesture from Penrod. Vermin buried his mouth as deeply as possible in a ragged sleeve, and confined his demonstration to a heaving of the stomach and diaphragm. Penrod led the way into the dainty room of his nineteen-year-old sister, Margaret, and closed the door. "'There,' he said, in a low and husky voice, I expect you'll see what I'm going to do now. Well, what? the skeptical Sam asked. If we stay here very long, your mother'll come and send us downstairs. What's the good of... Wait, can't you? Penrod wailed in a whisper. My goodness! And going to an inner door, he threw it open, disclosing a clothes closet hung with pretty garments of many kinds, while upon its floor were two rows of shoes and slippers of great variety and charm. A significant thing is to be remarked concerning the door of this somewhat intimate treasury. There was no knob or latch upon the inner side, so that, when the door was closed, it could be opened only from the outside. There, said Penrod, you get in there, Vermin, and I'll bet they won't get to touch you back out of being our prisoner very soon now. 
Oh, I guess not. Pshaw, said Sam. Is that all you were going to do? Why, your mother'll come and make him get out the fur. No, she won't. She and Margaret have gone to my aunt's in the country, and aren't going to be back till dark. And even if you made a lot of noise, it's kind of hard to hear anything from in there, anyway, when the door's shut. Besides, he's got to keep quiet. That's the rule, Vermin. You're a prisoner, and it's the rule you can't holler or nothing. You understand that, Vermin? I'll lie, said Vermin. Then go on in there. Hurry. The obedient Vermin marched into the closet and sat down among the shoes and slippers, where he presented an interesting effect of contrast. He was still subject to hilarity, though endeavouring to suppress it by means of a patent leather slipper, when Penrod closed the door. There, said Penrod, leading the way from the room. I guess now you see. Sam said nothing, and they came out to the open air and reached their retreat in the Williams' yard again, without his having acknowledged Penrod's service to their mutual cause. I thought of it just as easy, Penrod remarked, probably prompted by this odious bit of complacency by Sam's withholding the praise that might naturally have been expected. And he was moved to add, I guess it'd have been a pretty long while if we'd had to wait for you to think of something as good as that, Sam. Why would it? Sam asked. Why would it have been such a long while? Oh, Penrod responded airily, just for the main and simple reason. Sam could bear it no longer. Oh, hush up, he shouted. Penrod was stung. Do you mean me? he demanded. Yes, I do, the goaded Sam replied. Did you tell me to hush up? Yes, I did. I guess you don't know who you're talking to, Penrod said ominously. I guess I'd just better show you who you're talking to like that. I guess you need a little something for the main and simple. Sam uttered an uncontrollable howl and sprang upon Penrod, catching him round the waist. Simultaneously with this impact, the wooden swords spun through the air and were presently trodden underfoot as the two boys wrestled to and fro. Penrod was not altogether surprised by the unset of his friend. He had been aware of Sam's increasing irritation, though neither boy could have clearly stated its cause, and that very irritation produced a corresponding emotion in the bosom of the irritator. Mentally, Penrod was quite ready for the conflict, nay, he welcomed it, though for the first few moments Sam had the physical advantage. However, it is proper that a neat distinction be drawn here. This was a conflict, but neither technically nor in the intention of the contestants was it a fight. Penrod and Sam were both in a state of high exasperation, and there was a great bitterness, but no blows fell, and no tears. They strained, they wrenched, they twisted, and they panted, and they muttered, Oh, no, you won't. Oh, I guess I do. Oh, you will, will you? You'll see what you get in about a minute. I guess you'll learn more sense this time. Streaks and blotches began to appear upon the two faces, where color had been heightened by the ardent application of a cloth sleeve or shoulder, while ankles and insteps were scraped and toes were trampled. Turf and shrubbery suffered also, as the struggle went on, until finally the wrestlers pitched headlong into a young lilac bush, and came to earth together among its crushed and sprawling branches. Ooch and woof! were the two exclamations which marked this episode, and then, with no further comment, the struggle was energetically continued in, upon a horizontal plane. Now Penrod was on top, now Sam. They rolled, they squirmed, and they suffered. And this contest endured. It went on and on, and it was impossible to imagine its coming to a definite termination. It went on so long that to both the participants it seemed to be a permanent thing, a condition that had always existed, 
and that must always exist perpetually, and thus they were discovered by a foray of the hostile party, headed by Roddy Bitts and Herman, older brother to Vermin, and followed by the bonded prisoners Maurice Levy and Georgie Bassett. These and others caught sight of the writhing figures and charged down upon them with loud cries of triumph. "'Prisoner! Prisoner! Bonded prisoner!' shrieked Roddy Bitts, and touched Penrod and Sam, each in turn, with his sabre. Then, seeing that they paid no attention, and that they were at his mercy, he recalled the fact that several times, during earlier stages of the game, both of them had been unnecessarily vigorous in touching his own rather plump person. Therefore, the opportunity being excellent, he raised his weapon again, and repeating the words, "'Bonded prisoner!' as ample explanation of his deed, brought into play the full strength of his good right arm. He used the flat of his sabre. Whack! Whack! Roddy was perfectly impartial. It was a cold-blooded performance and even more effective than he anticipated. For one thing, it ended the Civil War instantly. Sam and Penrod leaped to their feet, shrieking and bloodthirsty, while Maurice Levy capered with joy. Herman was so overcome that he rolled upon the ground, and Georgie Bassett remarked virtuously, it serves them right for fighting. But Roddy Bitts foresaw that something not within the rules of the game was about to happen. "'Here! You keep away from me!' he quavered, retreating. "'I was just taking you prisoners. I guess I had a right to touch you, didn't I?' Alas, neither Sam nor Penrod was able to see the matter in that light. They had retrieved their own weapons, and they advanced upon Roddy with a purposefulness that seemed horrible to him. "'Here! You keep away from me!' he said in great alarm. "'I'm going home!' He did go home, but only subsequently. What took place before his departure had the singular solidity and completeness of systematic violence. Also, it bore the moral beauty of all actions that lead to peace and friendship, for when it was over, and the final vocalizations of Roderick Magsworth Bitts, Jr., were growing faint with increasing distance, Sam and Penrod had forgotten their differences and felt well disposed towards each other once more. All their animosity was exhausted, and they were in a glow of good feeling, though probably they were not conscious of any direct gratitude to Roddy, whose thoughtful opportunism was really the cause of this happy result. End of chapter 1